You're listening to the Business of Environment podcast with Mark Roman. Okay, welcome everyone to the Business of Environment podcast, where we explore insights on the intersection of business, the environment, and regulation. I'm your host, Mark Roman. I'm really excited about today's podcast because we have a very special guest today, Mr. Jamie Kaiser. Jamie is the Chief Operating Officer and General Counsel for Rhino Partners, an investment group based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Jamie's an attorney with over 28 years experience in private practice and as an in-house counsel for a multinational manufacturing company. As in-house counsel, Jamie practiced practice included the management of environmental matters for the company. Now, Jamie's education has allowed him to walk the same halls as basketball royalty. You see, Jamie's a graduate of Davidson College and the University of North Carolina Law School. Jamie and I have worked together on many environmental matters over the years uh, that were primarily associated with acquisitions, divestitures, and disposals of businesses and properties. And as a result, Jamie's been a client, a colleague, and most importantly, a, a really good friend for many years. Welcome, Jamie, to the Business of Environment podcast. Thank you, Mark, and thanks for that uh, really nice introduction. And I appreciate you taking the time to join us, and uh, I'm sure the listeners are going to be well-educated on, on what you have to say today. But before we jump into anything specific, Jamie, beyond the brief bio that I gave, can you let everyone know a little bit more about like your background and, and what really led you down the path to practicing law and the environmental field? Sure. Um, so I guess going back to the, the sort of the, the first question would be, how did I get into practicing law? I, uh, my father was an attorney and was in-house counsel. In fact, he was general counsel for a company, for a bank, a uh, small bank here in North Carolina that is now pretty well known. It's uh, now Bank of America. And so when he retired in 2001, he retired not from North Carolina National Bank, but where he retired from Bank of America at the time, I believe, might have been the largest bank in the country in deposits. Um, and so, you know, having been exposed to him, going to law school was a was a pretty natural thing. I worked for a couple of years in finance and then decided that um, I would give law school a try. And and uh, so I uh, went to law school and came out of law school, went into private practice and had a general corporate focused practice and uh, got a call from a headhunter about joining a multinational firm. And I, I told him at first, no, I wasn't interested, but I knew a little bit about the company. And um, so I said, sure, I'll go in and talk to him. And lo and behold, I got an offer and uh, I went to work for that company that was headquartered in London, but historically was based in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was there for almost 20 years until we were acquired by another multinational firm headquartered in Denver, Colorado. So in terms of how I got into environmental law, I had not done any sort of environmental work in private practice. And just out of necessity, uh, when I got to um, the in-house position, we were thinly staffed and we had uh, just two of us here in Charlotte, the president and general counsel and me covering all legal matters. And uh, this company was a uh, company with over a hundred years of history. And so, of course, had some uh, some environmental issues to be addressed. And um, so I was thrown in the fire uh, very quickly after I walked in the door in June of 1999 and had to learn as I went about uh, 
all of the tricks and traps and and uh, all of the uh, you know the issues that come up with uh, dealing with not only historic environmental matters but also um, you know environmental matters that come up while you're operating a manufacturing company. So talk about sink or swim, huh? You uh, exactly. <laughs> you're thrown to the wolves, if you, if if I may say. Uh, well, I can, I can tell you, you were quite successful at, at, at what you did. Um, uh, your reputation is very solid in the field. And, and you know, my work experience with you has been uh, uh, only positive. And, and I, I've learned a lot from you. Um, can, tell us a little bit about Rhino Partners, uh, what you guys do and, uh, you know, uh, what you do for them. Sure. So uh, Rhino Partners is a completely different position from what I'm used to, this is a very entrepreneurial um, endeavor. It's uh, a couple of friends, um, one primary investor, and we are um, simply finding good companies to invest in and purchasing them. And we've even even are working on a uh, a startup. And so this is this is a new world for me. It requires me to put on not just the the lawyer's hat, but the the business hat and some of the skills I, I gained while uh, while in-house counsel, but um, it also is requiring me to, to learn all over again because there are parts of being uh, an entrepreneur where you're you're doing everything, and um, some of this is pretty new to me. So I, once again, I'm learning as I'm going. So it's uh, it's been challenging and fun, and we'll see uh, see how it goes. We've been at it now about uh, just about a year. Well, congratulations on that. It's uh, it it sounds exciting, and uh, and uh, you know, best to you on that. Now, I have to I have to state this for the non basketball fans out there, and I can't believe I have to ask <laughs> this for you of you, but please fill in our uh, uh, those listeners that uh, uh, really don't pay attention to basketball. The famous fellow alumni from Davidson College that uh, that you're aware of that are in the basketball field now. <laughs> That's right. Well, there's there's one in particular, and he at uh, at this point in time may be the most famous Davidson College graduate. All their over history, there've been a, a few that were famous, but uh, Steph Curry um, graduate. Well, he hasn't graduated yet. He's promised to come back and finish his degree, but was at Davidson for three years. And I think most people that are basketball fans know a little bit about the history of the baby-faced assassin and how. <laughs> he uh, was overlooked by all the big schools, and uh, Bob McKillop, who is a wonderful coach and a wonderful leader and a great um, a great uh, uh, asset to Davidson College, um, recognized, uh, I guess, Steph's potential and greatness, and um, he uh, he brought him to Davidson. Um, so Steph was several years behind me, but um, but we actually play have played golf together on one occasion. So uh, I can actually I've got a club in my bag that he he swung, um, and that probably will end up on a wall in my house someday if my wife ever lets me put it up. Hermetically sealed, also. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and 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 I I feel confident enough. I don't have to say uh mention any alumni from tar heel nation but if anyone doesn't know that they're free to f f uh visit my office and see all the michael jordan <laughs> memorabilia so we'll That's leave it right. at that <laughs> now That's now right. we worked together for many years while you were in-house counsel at that large firm a manufacturing company especially during 
due diligence uh, for property transactions. Now, from from a legal standpoint, Jamie, can you expand upon the importance of due diligence, especially during these transactions, whether you're buying or selling? Oh, yes. It's, uh, you know, from my perspective or from the perspective of a, a, a cautious lawyer anyway, and certainly hopefully of the management of any company, when you go to to buy a, a property or a business, um, understanding what you're getting and recognizing the risks, especially when you're talking about industrial properties. Um, it's absolutely critical because you may think you're buying a million dollar building and you've come to find out that you've not only bought a million dollar building, you've bought a $10 million liability because the property is contaminated. You didn't do your due diligence. You didn't get your innocent buyer's defense. Um, and, uh, um, you're in trouble. And with, with some of the acquisitions we did, um, when I was in house, we were, you know, these were multi in, in, on a couple of occasions, $2 billion plus dollar acquisitions. And you know, you're buying some environmental liability, but in the scope of things, it's liability that you're willing to accept to get the business. And then it's an argument of how you, uh, either cordon off or, hopefully have the seller if the seller is still available keep all or some of that liability but but due diligence is critical um it, it's uh folly to go into any transaction that involves real estate and not understand what the potential um liability is there and in fact uh, i mean uh, you, you know you mentioned earlier and i've just got to pause for a second and say this you talked about um how i was thrown in the fire and how i had developed a, a somewhat of a, a practice around environmental law, but you in particular, Mark, were responsible for a lot of my education. Um, you know, if we're not having the opportunity to work with you that, you know, I would could have possibly gotten to the level of knowledge and, a, and, and ability to navigate some of these regulatory and, and uh, liability issues, but uh, you got me there a whole lot faster. Um, so for that, I'll always be grateful. Um, Thank you. you. I just wanted to wanted to say that. And, uh, you know, but also, you know, because we have had such a good relationship for so long, I called you when Rhino Partners was we're in the process of buying a building now. And, um, you know, it's a small building, a small parcel of land, but uh, purely out of habit. And, you know, what I think is necessity, I, I wanted some level of due diligence and I asked you to help us out with that and you've been incredibly helpful and you've identified some risks and we're now in a position of making some business decisions. Um, but uh, I'm comfortable that um, we have all the information and all the tools we need to make an informed and intelligent decision about how to move forward with this piece of property, which is important to this, you know, this nascent business that we're starting. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, before I was the lawyer that got the call in house and said we're buying this business or this property, you know, start the due diligence process, which includes not only environmental but a lot of other things. In this case, I was the uh, partner owner, and uh, my initial reaction was call call Mark and ask him <laughs> what he thinks we ought to do. Um, so, well, well, thanks. Jamie, I, I, I'm simply thankful that we can we we can continue to work together. Uh, 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 you know, not only uh, 
continue our personal relationship, but our professional as well. It's that's I'm extremely thankful for that. And, and and you just mentioned, you know, your role with the former large firm company and and now Rhino. Uh, what do you see as your biggest challenge uh, for you in serving as in-house counsel for that big company and now uh, in-house counsel, COO, you know, man of many hats for the investment group when it comes to environmental matters? In terms of the transition, the uh, I guess the, the the biggest challenge is when you're with a large corporate multinational firm, you're usually working with a lot of talented, um, experienced people. Um, and so if, for example, if I had a question, and I'll, I'll just stick to specifically to environmental matters, but if I had a, a question or a concern about, let's say, a site that we were having to, to manage that we'd inherited, um, you know, I had uh, somebody down the hall that I could go, our general counsel and president, and I can go talk, commiserate with him about, you know, issues and questions. You also had resources available to you. You had the money to pay to do, for example, the thorough due diligence. Um, and it was uh, on such a large scale and, you know, sophisticated people that understood, you know, what needed to be done. Um, um, as you protected the company from potentially significant liability, not just in the due diligence phase, but also in the ongoing operations and in the managing of existing liabilities uh, and, and, and walking that regulatory tightrope. Um, you know, this is, this is a, such a small enterprise that um, uh, it, it, the, the, I won't say these are talented very smart people that I'm working with, but they've not been in um, in the environmental world. And so, uh, you know, this is all new to them. All the discussions we're having around buying this small piece of property is new. Um, they don't have some of the experience that I've had with merger and acquisition work. So some of that is new to them. And, um, and, and there's a cost sensitivity because you just don't have the resources that, you know, close at hand to, to, spend money on an issue and invest in preparation and prevention like you would in a large multinational corporation where uh, people immediately understand all the issues or someone within the company understands all the issues that you may face down the road. So, so I'd imagine you you have to reevaluate what level of risk and exposure you're comfortable with under the different roles. That's right. And how, how difficult was that to manage that change in perspective? In, you know, frankly, it, I don't think it was that difficult because you, in the larger multinational that I worked in and that you helped us with so much, the, uh, the issues and the ability to sort of issue spot or risk, identify risks, um, the risks aren't entirely different. They're ju- it's just a different scope of mm-hmm. risk. So, for example, I, I think I mentioned you have a $2 billion acquisition and you know you're buying uh, an old 100-year-old manufacturing facility that hasn't been operated for 20 years and you know that you've got an environmental issue there. Um, uh, but you're willing to, you know, in the scope of the acquisition, it's not, it's not a, uh, 
it's a risk that's you're worth taking to to complete the acquisition to take on that that liability and you have an under you know we had an understanding and the personnel in the company had an understanding of what a particular contaminated site was likely to to uh you know what sort of risk it posed in the long term um they usually you know there were sometimes surprises but often you know we could identify a range of of liability in terms of cost but also more importantly time you know when when do we get out from under this um and so you know i'll use for as an example the purchase of uh of this property that we're looking at you know it's a two million dollar or so acquisition so uh if there were a potential liability of any kind that was a million dollars uh you know we wouldn't have blinked at that in one of the large acquisitions at a at, at the multinational company but here that's you know that's a not only a deal killer but potentially a business killer um mm. and so it you know the the um the skills or tools to identify risks and issues i think are the same but the the magnitude of the 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 risk that taught the ability to tolerate that is much less and so you have to be what i'm learning is i have to be a lot more careful um i have to be a lot more diligent in understanding exactly what the risks are uh, you know we bought a company that's services the natural gas industry with uh gauges and heaters and dials and pumps and um you know a uh a, a one-time liability that would would we just call our insurance carrier uh, at a multinational and say let's you know help us work through this just the litigation costs um with this small company you know, natural gas company that we bought could shut it shut it down could bankrupt it so it's it's all a matter of magnitude and it's all a matter of uh, uh scope but i think the assessment of risk you know, both environmental and otherwise, and the and the, uh, understanding the the upside and the downside of, uh, you know, ultimately everything comes down to a business decision. And um, but there's there's greater potential for uh, a business ending uh, liability when you're small. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the biggest difference. Yeah, it's a, so it's important for for those of our listeners that you know maybe looking into buying or selling business or property. It's important to understand your level of risk and and uh, um, what you're willing to accept uh, as part of the transaction. Um, and also, it's important whether you're big big company, small company, in between. Um, do your due diligence, in essence. Uh, Make sure you 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 cover all bases. Uh, beyond that, w- w- is there any other advice you can give our listeners um, that are, are are thinking of acquiring or selling a, a property as it pertains to environmental matters? I uh, you know I would say um, well first of all, and we've already touched on this, but you know be thorough in your due diligence around environmental mm-hmm. matters. Um, you know if you've got an operating entity, um, be you know, proactive and anticipate and prepare for um, issues and how to avoid them. I mean, you talk about, I, I love your 
um, your analogy, but I love you talk about gorillas, um, and I think the that comes from the there's a film where people are passing a ball back and forth, and the the watcher is instructed to count the number of times the ball is passed. And during the film, I think a gorilla walks across the screen, and something like maybe it's a third or a half of the people watching the film never see the gorilla because right. they're so deeply involved in counting the number of times the ball is passed back and forth, they, they miss it. And so, you know, working in the multinational firm where I was, you know, we had heavy manufacturing industry going on. Um, and more often than not was when we had acquired an entity um, and went in and found, my gosh, there's, again, using your term, gorillas everywhere that people just missed it's things that are common sense and simple. So, you know, I would say anticipate and then be proactive in uh, knowing the, for example, the applicable laws, regs, rules, wherever you are, state and otherwise. And, um, and if you don't know, or you don't have the capacity to, to be fully proactive, to fully anticipate and to know the laws, rules and regs, Hire good consultants that do, uh, or good attorneys that do. Get get somebody to help. I mean, we're at the multinational where I was. We we needed Mark Roman. We needed Envision Environmental because we simply didn't have the personnel, and in my case, for a lot of it, the the technical knowledge to to uh, to achieve the you know to anticipate, be proactive. So um, you know, if you can build a good team. Uh, both internally and externally, I think that would be probably, if I summarize it into one statement, that would be my best advice. Build a good team and, um, and, and use uh, outside consultants as needed and make sure they're good and they're, they're good at what they do. Yeah, and, and, and you know, and, and that applies, like, like I said, small, medium, large, you know, entities, whoever's involved, you really need to do that due diligence. And, and the, the one thing that I, I remember the, the first time I, I came across your, your work at the multinational firm was uh, related to the need for someone to uh, understand that hundred plus year history of all the companies that, you know, everybody starts, you know, like like Rhino, Microsoft started the same way. Hewlett Packard, Envision. Everybody starts with a, a small grouping, you know, working out of your garage, if you will. And uh, and they become, they acquire other businesses, they do other functions, they manufacture different things, wh- whatever it may be. And and there's a long history there. And and I, uh, the first time I came across your work was where you really rolled up your sleeves and here you were thrown to the wolves again. All right, Jamie, figure out the history <laughs> of this multinational <laughs> firm that has, you know, over a hundred years of history. And, and you were able to, to figure that out. I mean, you're a, uh, I equated your work to a detective of sorts. Um, can you expand a little bit about the importance of understanding history uh, of, of the organization's? that, that, you know, uh, relative to environmental matters? Uh, Certainly. And, um, uh, you know, you gave me a lot of credit for being a detective, but as I said before, I had a good team. 
um, uh, that helped me dig into and, and even find uh, some of those historical documents, some of them buried in warehouses in Chicago and Charlotte, North Carolina. So and once again, that was a team effort as well. But, you know, the I'll speak to my experience, but the, the importance of it is, and in environmental matters especially, oftentimes you're dealing with issues that were, they may have arisen or been discovered fairly recently, but they were caused you know, 20, 30, sometimes 50, 60, 75 years ago. And when you, in our case, when you had a company that had, um, you know, it was a circuitous route from its beginnings to what it was when I worked for it, but a company with a hundred plus years of history, um, you know, oftentimes what I found was we thought, okay, we, we have been made aware, we've been made aware of this issue at this specific location, they, you know, the EPA or or a, a, a third party says they think it's us, and you dig into that corporate history and you say, wait a minute, um, there's a branch in this history, and this entity or this location branched off of us years ago, and this isn't our liability, and we were successful more than a few times because we dug into that corporate history to say, no, this is, you know, you're coming after us, but this is not us and here's why. And, you know, that saved money, you know, in litigation expenses, probably. Um, it certainly saved money in cleanup costs or uh, in uh, remediation costs at a, at a um, facility that was alleged to have been owned by our corporate entity, but hadn't been. And um, so that's the easiest uh, example of understanding and knowing the history. Um, the other is, uh, it, legally, it may be you, uh, you're involved in a site, but then they try to saddle you with uh, constituents at the site that if you know the, the manufacturing, in our case, the manufacturing history of the company, you might know, and Mark, you are excellent at this, you would know there's no way that this operation generated this waste. So you're you're barking up the wrong tree, third party or whoever it might be that's coming after um, coming after us. And so knowing the you know you may manufacture um, uh, widget blue widgets today, um, but you never manufactured yellow widgets. And if you can show that you never manufactured yellow widgets, then you can show that constituents at a site, there's no way they can be your constituents because those constituents only come from yellow widgets, not from blue widgets. So, you know, those are the two most prominent uh, reasons that I found uh, as I practiced in-house that knowing the history of a company is so valuable. It can really push off a lot of liability that really isn't yours right and and what what we a bit a big mistake that i find a lot of folks make uh, i have a few clients that you know take this approach is i i always tell them you know, don't assume anything you, you really need to confirm everything uh especially when it comes to history uh when it relates to environmental matters and where, where that 
comes, uh, you know, especially to the forefront is, is in a, a transaction. You know, for example, we, we just dealt with somebody that, uh, a, a client that was in the process of, of purchasing an office complex and, um, he didn't understand the need for, for due diligence. And, uh, um, you know, I, I told him, well, you know, just because it's an office complex today doesn't mean it was one yesterday. You know, uh, what, what happened on that property before? Because once you become an owner of that property, you inherit what's there. And so you need to understand that history. Just like, you know, you need to show that, hey, what I'm doing today doesn't, you know, it doesn't equate to what the issue that you're you're looking me to pay into, like the blue widget versus yellow widget. So, so you know, history is extremely important for everyone to understand and uh, in, in environmental matters. And thanks for those great examples, Jamie. Uh, one of the biggest complaints I hear relative to environmental matters is staying in tune with regulations. Uh, what do you believe makes some successful in navigating these complex regular regulatory environment while, while others struggle? Um, well, I guess on, on the one level, it's, you know, it's, you, you can never stop studying and learning. Um, I mean, that's, that's critical if you're going to be involved in, uh, in any way and, and, any sort of environmental work um, because although I guess the science doesn't necessarily change the level of knowledge of the science change, the determination of the, the danger of some constituent may change. I mean, I think a good example recently is it seems as I was exiting the multinational company, I kept hearing about all these concerns over the last, maybe it's risen in the last 10 years of one, four dioxane and you know, there, there are, um, wastewater treatment plants, you know, they test below those, the discharge and, and, you know, that's their concentrations often in those. And it's because one four dioxane comes from things, consumer goods, detergent and other things. And so, um, you know, if you stopped your, your studying and learning at, you know, in, 1999, um, you wouldn't be as aware of this. For me, particularly around the, the issue of navigating regulatory issues, I'll say it again, build a good team. You know, have your Mark Roman there to give a call to, to um, and your envision environmental there. And, you know, for me as well, it was building a good team of outside legal counsel. Um, because for some of us, it's impossible to keep up with all of the regulatory issues by yourself. The best I could do was keep up with the big issues um, or the issues that affected our industry specifically or the sites where we might be located specifically. But, um, you know, you need to engage, you know, if you not engage outside consultants and attorneys, subject matter experts, bring them in-house. Um, because if you try to rely on sort of static knowledge of, well, this is how things are now and this is how things will always be, you're going to get you're going to get surprised. Yeah, hey, I, I, I've often found that uh, many times regulations are aren't paid attention to simply because they're difficult to understand. You know, they're they're not the greatest reading material, if you will. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I can't stress 
enough the importance that regulations need to be understood in order to be successful in complying with them. I mean, it's, it's, you know, common sense. And what's key there is to find someone that can translate uh, this, this legalese, if you will, to plain speak. And, and Jamie, you have a special talent for that because, uh, and, and Rhino Partners is, is very lucky to have you on board because I've experienced your ability to uh, do that translation many times uh, during complex transactional matters that we were both involved in. And, and it, it enabled me to better understand the issue at hand and as a result, do a better job as an environmental consultant to address that issue at hand. Because, you know, I, I, read, I read these things and, you know, m- much of it goes over my head simply because of the way it's worded and, and organized. And, you know, sometimes it takes me two or three times reading it. But um, w- when I consulted with you on these matters, it, it, you know, and it, it's quite evident in, in our, our interview today is uh, you're able to distill down into simple to understand language what's going on. And, and, and that's a talent. And that, like I said, Rhinos is very lucky. Rhino Partner is very lucky to have you on board there um, uh, uh, with those matters. Thank you for saying that. Um, and, you know, it takes me two or three times to read those regulations, too. And if it, if it only takes two or three times, I'm pretty happy about it. So yeah. <laughs> you're doing pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what's the number one piece of advice for uh, businesses dealing with potential environmental challenges that that you can give them, and why? Um, well, I guess it'll go back to what I touched on before, and probably was a, a little uh, uh, loquacious on. But I, I, you know, it's anticipate the issues. Um, you know your business hopefully better than anyone else. Um, you know, if you've got someone in there uh, in your business who works on environmental ha- health and safety issues, uh, make sure that you're sitting down with your team, um, you know, at each site, if you've got multiple sites and understanding how you avoid, how you prevent uh creating environmental issues for yourself. Um, you know, in heavy industry like I was in, we had sumps and trenches and one of the things we found in you know prior to our operation of them or um was that those sumps and trenches were well built but they had seams in them and sometimes the seams leaked and if whatever was going into those sumps and trenches could find its way into the ground which could then find its way into the groundwater and all it took to prevent that was regularly inspecting those sumps and trenches and sealing those seams, uh, sealing those gaps. And um, so, uh, you know, there are things you know you don't know and things you don't know you don't know, but you should be able to prepare um, for the and anticipate uh, and be proactive about the the risks that you know uh, are presented by your operation. And, um, you know, it goes back to that, the gorilla issues. Uh, you're working hard every day to put your product out the door, but uh, don't be so, you know, head down, nose to the grindstone working that you fail to, to look up every once in a while and make sure that, um, y- you know, your practices are environmentally sound and you're, that you're not creating a multi million dollar issue for yourself. 
Yeah, w- w- one of your comments really hit home for me. It, it's it's one of the best pieces of advice that I was given as a youngster, and that's know what you don't know, and uh, you'll that's you'll right. get you'll get pretty far in life. <laughs> um, that's right. Well, Jamie, you're you're a pretty busy guy, and uh, can you share with our audience an interest or hobby that you enjoy doing uh, with whatever free time you do have? <laughs> oh gosh, um, I have a lot of interests and in, uh, a lot of things that skim the surface on, and unfortunately don't go in depth on. But uh, you know, I love being outdoors and hiking, cycling. I run a little bit. Uh, play some golf. I I won the flight my member guest golf tournament this past weekend with actually my partner from Rhino Partners. So we had a lot to celebrate this weekend. Oh, cool. um, I, I think, you know, in my spare time, what's bringing me the jo- most joy now is just watching my uh, 15-year-old daughter and 12-year-old son and their academic and, and athletic pursuits. Both ran cross-country and had really successful years. And, you know, that for some reason, I don't know why, but that brings a lot of joy um, to watch them compete and participate in sports. Um, but, uh, I like to be on the move, uh, hopefully outside, um, because I spend a lot of time in my chosen profession, sitting in a chair, uh, and reading and studying. And, and, uh, so I like to get out and get moving when I can. Excellent. Yeah. It's a, it's, uh, a great time of year for, uh, to be doing that also. Um, well, Jamie, Hey. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you to find out a little bit about more about Rhino Partners and yourself, how, how would they do that? Rhino Partners website is currently being built, but uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, under either Jamie or James Kaiser. It'll get to both in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and uh, I guess until that website is built, um, Call Mark Roman. He can he can okay. put you in touch. <laughs> All right. And, and what we'll do is, uh, and Jamie's last name is K I S E R. So uh, if That's you right. look at look for him on on LinkedIn, but we'll have some information on uh, the the podcast page about how to get in touch with you uh, also uh, in the future. Jamie, I, I, I want to thank you again, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out today and, and uh, sharing your your uh, valuable knowledge with everybody. And I wanted to thank everyone for listening today, to today's show. And until we share some time together again, stay safe and, and be well. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. The Business of Environment podcast is sponsored by Envision Environmental. Do you have environmental gorillas hiding in plain sight at your facility? Chances are you do, and you don't even know it. Discover how to assess your environmental, health, and safety risks, and protect yourself from fines and liabilities before there's trouble. Download a free copy of our book, Overlooked, Hunting the Invisible Environmental Gorilla, at envisionenvironmental.com slash freebook.